but we are going to start a series on Wednesday nights on the disciplines of the Christian life. Uh, the Christian walk is not easy, but it's possible. All things through Christ. Amen. And so brother, brother Andrew is going to start us off with the first, uh, uh, lesson tonight. And less, this is not, these are not lessons to hear and learn. These are lessons to hear and live. Say with me, don't just learn it. We need to, and all God's people say it. Well, let's pray. Let's pray. And brother Andrew's going to come and get, kick it off tonight. Father, Thank you so much for all that you do. Lord, I pray tonight that you will just move in an awesome way as we grow, as we learn, uh, as we uh, kick off this introduction to the disciplines of the Christian life. I pray that your perfect will be done. And God will be careful to give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor, and you are sure worthy. And God will praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, will y'all help, help me welcome, uh, uh, <laughs> this is, this is in seven years, Andrew, in seven years, this is the first time you haven't been down there. Yeah. yeah. He's a little nervous. Will y'all, will y'all assure him he don't have any reason to be nervous? <laughs> Let him know. Amen. Yeah, I was telling somebody, it's the first Bible study I've ever been to. It better be good. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, would you open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4? 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're gonna, this is going to be kind of our theme verse for the night, but we're going to be going and visiting different places in the Bible, but this is going to be kind of our kickoff verse for this particular lesson tonight. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that is now, that now is, and that which is to come. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for an opportunity to gather, Lord, to be challenged by your word. Lord, like Pastor Malcolm has said, this needs to be a lesson that is lived not just learn. And so, God, I pray that you would just empower me to deliver your word effectively and efficiently, Lord. Bring to memory all those things I studied, and God, that I would step out of the way and let you take center stage. And Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Go ahead and be seated. Um, so, yes, yeah, this is an adjustment. This is an, I, I, you know, I've been in youth ministry 16 years. 16 years. Uh, my wife and I got married in 2006, and very shortly after that, uh, we started in youth ministry, and it has been, um, it's been a journey. It's been something that I've been passionate about. It's been highs and lows and everything in between. I told people, I said, I feel like Peter Pan leaving Neverland. You know, it's like, uh, here we are, and I'm excited. I'm excited for this series on the spiritual disciplines. Now, the word discipline the word discipline, it, it, it has a negative ring to it. Sounds like work, don't it? Yeah. Discipline sounds like work. Yeah. And, and the truth is, being a disciplined person does take work. Yeah. It does take effort. Nobody who is a disciplined, uh, disciplined person, it, it comes through, to it naturally. It takes effort. It takes work. If you want to be successful at anything you do in life, you have to be disciplined. Would you agree? Right. And, and so why the disciplines? 
At the beginning of this, this year, Pastor Malcolm challenged us, and he says we need to be living in our identity as saints because we are no longer sinners. If you're a born-again believer in God, you are a saint. And so to live in that identity, uh, last, this past Sunday he talked out of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I, uh, hey, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. And he goes on and says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the idea is... If you are not consistently being transformed, he said, then therefore you are being conformed. So how do we keep from being conformed? What do we need to do? Well, we have to implement some, dis- some disciplines in our life. Tonight, my mission and goal tonight is this, is I want to challenge you with kind of an introduction on why we even need to look at pursuing the disciplines in life. If I just say we need to do the disciplines, you might be agreeing with me, but I want to give you Bible on why, that, why it's so, why we need to do that. We need God to purge the church, purge the church of apathy. You know what apathy means? That means we have just put it on cruise control and we're just cruising through life. We aren't, we're not pursuing God. We're not moved by God. We're showing up, but nothing is happening. And so we need God to purge that from our lives and give us a desire and a fire to do the things which please Him, bring Him glory. There are too many Christians in our churches today that were saved as young people and have not grown since. Now, 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 do, do y'all know what a streaker is? Y'all, y'all remember Ray Stevens sang a song called The Streak? Y'all remember? Yeah, preacher, I'm going somewhere. Just hold on. I'm going somewhere. I think today we got a whole lot of spiritual streakers. You may think, what what does that even mean? In Ephesians chapter 6, you see Paul is speaking about putting on the whole armor of God. Matter of fact, we can look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 through 17. He says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to, to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt with the belt of truth, about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. What I have been noticing in churches today is there's people that have gotten saved to put on the helmet of salvation and they ain't wearing nothing else. And they're just streaking through life. And this is not what God has called us to be. He's given us all these things we need to equip our lives with. And so I see a lot of people that are just going through life mundane, apathetic, not pursuing the disciplines, not pursuing holiness, not pursuing godliness. And they don't even know that they're supposed to most of the time. They think they get saved and that's it. So I want to I want to challenge you with this thought. If you have discipline without direction, it becomes drudgery. Discipline without direction becomes drudgery. All right, my men in this church, my men out there at Fairview. If, 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 if an angel of God was to appear to you and say, hey, listen, if you practice an hour a day, every single day, throwing a baseball, you are going to be the next starting pitch, uh, pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. You are going to be throwing a ball, a pitch that nobody has ever seen before. It's going to have the movement of a knuckleball, and it's going to have the speed of a fastball. Ain't nobody going to be able to hit it. You're going to be this incredible pitcher that nobody has ever seen before, and you're going to play as a starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, and you're going to win the World Series if you go out and practice one hour every day. Well, how many of y'all will go outside and start throwing a baseball? Every 
immediately, every day. You'd be just chunking it. My ladies in this room, what if an angel visited you and say, hey, next year about this time, you are going to have the most angelic voice. Man, you're going to bring nations to their knees while they weep at the sound of your voice as you sing in Carnegie Hall and Madison Square Gardens. You are going to be this generation's voice. If you just practice one hour every day, Next year, you will be at that level. And you ladies will be in the bathroom every single day, preparing your vocal cords. And and then a week down the road, a couple weeks down the road, my men who's been throwing that baseball, your arm might get a little tired, but you're thinking, hey, next year, I'm playing for the Braves. Next year, I'm going to win a World Series. And so you keep throwing that baseball. My ladies, your voice will get a little tired a month down the road, two months down the road. You might want to quit. But you think, but I'm going to be the next singer of this generation. People are going to come to my concert. I'm going to have sell out, sold out concerts. I'm going to be somebody. And so it'll give you the drive to keep on singing. If you have direction on where you're headed, all of a sudden the discipline it takes to get there doesn't seem like drudgery anymore, does it? Because now you have a purpose. I know where I'm headed. Therefore, I'm going to do what it takes to get there. Does that make sense? Now, here's the thing. Many times people read their Bible, pray, will do all these things, and it feels like drudgery. Your prayer life is shallow, weak. Your Bible reading time is not exciting. You you, you begin to read the book of Numbers, and you see all these names you can't pronounce, and you're like, that's enough for now. And you put your Bible up. Sharing your faith can be intimidating. Fasting, giving up food. We're Baptists. I don't even sound right, right? Like giving up food. But if we have no vision of what these things are to accomplish, it becomes drudgery. So can I help you understand why we need to have spiritual disciplines in our life? Let me give you some direction. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, y'all need to see this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 is in your handout. He's speaking. He says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. In other words, he pre-planned this to happen, that you would be conformed to the image of his son. You see that? God had a pre-plan for your life, that you would be conformed to the image of his son. God's eternal plan has ultimately been that you would become Christ-like. That's the direction. That's where we're headed. Matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. This is you, Christian, in a few years. Trans- transplanted, transferred into the image of Christ. This is what it's going to look like. You're going to go that direction. This is what you can become. And so if you realize that, then reading your Bible and praying and worshiping and evangelizing and being a good steward and being generous and serving and fasting, these things no longer become drudgeries, but they become joys because I'm like, I know what I'm becoming. I'm going to be like Christ. If I stay consistent, I will be like Jesus. Because discipline without direction becomes drudgery. It will take discipline. Now, some of y'all might be thinking, well, if God predestined, if God's big plan for my life was to be like the image of, of, of his son, Jesus, and I can't disrupt God's plan, then how come I just can't coast into heaven? I mean, this is his plan after all. How come I can't coast into heaven? In Hebrews chapter 12, Verse 14, 
the writer of Hebrews says, follow peace with all men. That word follow, I looked it up, and I looked it in the original Greek. It means, the Greek word is dioko, but it means this. It means to aggressively chase, and it gives like a subtext. It says like a hunter pursuing its prey. So aggressively chase. So in Hebrews 12, if you replace that with follow with aggressively chase, aggressively chase peace with all men and what? Holiness. Holiness. But look what else it says. It says, without which no man shall see the Lord. So according to this verse, how many people who do not pursue, who do not pursue holiness, how many of those people will see the Lord? None. And you might be thinking, well, that seems harsh. Listen, what he's saying is regardless of your church attendance, regardless of how big your Bible is, regardless of how big your tithing statement is, um, regardless of how much you serve and how many mission trips you've been on, if you're not actively pursuing godliness, sanctification, holiness, Christ-likeness, you will not see the Lord. Now, in that moment, you might be thinking, well, does that mean God's favor depends upon my works? Is that what you're saying? That, that God, I have to impress God with my pursuit of holiness for him to one day open the doors of heaven to allow me in? Is that what you're saying? Not at all. Not at all. We believe wholeheartedly that it is by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, the cross alone, not of works. You're not saved by works. But, but every born-again believer, if you're a born-again believer in this room, if you're a born-again believer out there at Fairview, the moment you got saved, you were indwelled with what kind of spirit? Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes a holy hunger. It comes holy desires. Comes a holy appetite. Comes holy longings. When you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden your desires change. There's a longing inside of you. And it doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, there is a new desire inside of you to pursue those things which are holy The Holy Spirit puts a desire into into us to pursue holiness. Therefore, it is impossible to coast into heaven. Those who've experienced God's grace, those people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, they are being constantly pulled towards holiness, drawn towards Christ-likeness, drawn towards righteousness. And here's the thing. If that is not in you, then you don't know the Lord. And that's what Hebrews is saying. If you do not have a desire to pursue, aggressively pursue the desires, the holiness, the righteousness, the godliness that God has surrounded. If you are not pursuing that, then the question is, are you saved? Will you see the Lord? Because I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced of this, church. I'm convinced of this. Anyone who is not compelled to be like Christ has never met Christ. If you are not compelled... To live like Christ, you have not met him. Because I believe it is impossible. It is impossible to meet Jesus and not be filled with a desire to be close to him. And not, be, and, and, and not have a desire to want to be like him and have fellowship with him. How can you be saved and have no desire to know him more? I believe that's what Hebrews 12 is telling us. That if you are not aggressively pursuing holiness, that might be an indication in your life you ain't saved. So we go back to our theme verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, but refuse profane and old wise fables. Verse 7. 
and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. In other words, don't waste your time over arguing over senseless, godless things. Pursue godliness. Listen, church, listen to me. Godly people, is, I think it's in your notes, godly people are disciplined people. Godly people are disciplined. How many in this room had had a, a praying grandma or a praying grandpa? Somebody you know in your family, man, they were prayer warriors. How many of y'all had somebody in your family out there? Fairy, how many of you had somebody in your family that were prayer warriors? And you know when grandma prayed, all of heaven stood to attention. She had that fellowship with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? It's that sweet, tender. How do you think that got that, got that way? Years of discipline. Years of talking with the Lord. When she would say, Heavenly Father, you just knew all of a sudden he was ushered into the room. Why? It took her years of discipline and commitment and consistency. Y'all talk about Pastor Malcolm being a great communicator of the word. You know what Pastor Malcolm does? He's disciplined in the word. And the reason he's disciplined in the word, he's able to be a good communicator of the word. He told you this past Sunday, it doesn't come natural. It takes work. It takes work. Tracy's mama is one of the most prayer warring people I've ever met before. Man, she is a prayer warrior. And I believe in all my heart that her mama prayed every one of her grandchildren into existence. I believe in all my heart. She called Tracy one time. She says, I believe the Lord's going to bless you with a baby. A couple weeks later, we found out we was pregnant with Addie. I said, it's coincidence. And then a few years later, she gave us another phone call. She said, I believe the Lord's going to bless you. I've been praying. I believe he's going to bless you with another baby. A couple weeks later, we found out we was pregnant with Carter. During that birth, I told the doctor, I said, make it stop. Because <laughs> we ain't going to make her mama stop, so you got to make it stop. Or we're going to have a whole litter of them before too long. But her mama is a prayer warrior. And she can pray things into existence. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Her daddy... Her daddy is a man, he's a man, a, just a fantastic man of God. He was my youth pastor. When I started dating Tracy, she, uh, her daddy was my youth pastor. I had to ask her, her dad, my youth pastor, for permission to take her to the movies. But there was a time, and I always looked up to her daddy. But there was a time where we lived in South Florida, and, and we ended up having to move back to Panama City. And so during that time of transition, we ended up moving in with her mom and dad for a couple months. And I remember getting up early in the morning, early in the morning. They had a two-story house with like a little loft area. And I remember it'd be three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. And I'd walk, go into the bathroom and I'd look off the loft and I'd see her daddy hunched over a footstool praying. Three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. He was a disciplined man. He loved the Lord. Most generous man I've ever met. There's been so many stories where he'll literally take the shoes off of his feet and give it to somebody because they ain't got shoes. There's a story one time they took up a special love offering for somebody and he didn't have extra money. So he took off his watch and put it in the offering plate. And he ended up coming back to him and giving it back to him and says, Mr. Steve, you don't got to do this. He said, it's all I got. Talking about a man who loved the Lord. Disciplined man. You think Pastor Malcolm's a great communicator? He's also very disciplined. Martin Luther, the great reformationist, the one who came and, 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 and kind of came against the Catholic Church, he said, he was quoted as saying, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Why? Because godly people are disciplined people. Name me one person who's a godly person who ain't disciplined. You can't do it. You can't do it. 
So we have to understand something, that discipline is not legalism. That's two different things. Don't get it? Legalism? Legalism is self-centered. Discipline is God-centered. Legalism says, I'm going to do this to try to earn favor with God and to, to impress men. That's what legalism is. Discipline says, I'm doing this because I love the Lord. That's what discipline is. I'm oftentimes I think about what Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter five through Matthew chapter seven. Jesus is delivering this this amazing sermon to these followers. And in Matthew chapter five, he's addressing some issues that they've always heard about. They've heard about don't commit adultery, don't murder. But then he he would say something too. he'd say, if you have hate in your in your heart. Now, he says, if you say Raka, Raka basically means worthless. If you if you slander your brother, if you talk ill of your brother, he said, it's like you've committed murder already. He says, if you have lust in your heart, it's as if you committed adultery already. Now, you would think that in that moment, it looks like Jesus is adding rules. He says, "Okay, you've heard it says don't commit adultery. I'm saying don't even lust. You've heard it said don't murder. I'm saying don't even hate. That seems like you're adding some rules there. No, what he's doing, what he's doing is he's teaching a lesson. If you read all of Matthew 5, 6 and 7 in a row, he speaks on issues about forgiveness, loving your enemies, how to treat others. In chapter 7, he speaks about producing spiritual fruit and seeking the kingdom and following his teachings. What Jesus is doing is saying this. If you love me the way you're supposed to love me, you will never commit adultery. You will never hate your enemy. You'll never harbor unforgiveness. You'll, you'll never want to hurt anybody. He says, if you pursue me, if you, in other words, in other words, his teaching is about love and love is born from a place of discipline. Now there's three ways, three catalysts in your notes. There is three catalysts in which God will use to, to provoke us towards holiness, provoke us towards godliness. One of the, one of the ways he uses is people, people. Proverbs 27, 17, y'all have heard it said multiple times, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. God will bring people into your life to sharpen you, to knock off the rough edges. I was talking to a man yesterday on the phone. I told him, I said, you need to surround yourself with people who will not always agree with you. Because it's easy to find people that will always be in our corner that will say, oh, you're so right and she's so wrong. Oh, you know what, you, you, that person over there, that person's so mean anyways, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even put up with it. No, you need to have people that speak into your life and hold you accountable and will call you out on your bad behavior. And so you need some people that are going to speak truth. God will bring people in your life to challenge you on some things and to equip you and provoke you unto godliness. But God will also use your enemies. He will bring, he will bring people in your life you don't like. You might got some family members right now you can't stand. You might have some former business partners that done you wrong. And God is going to use that person to knock off the rough edges of your life to provoke you unto godliness. God will use pastors. He'll use friends. He'll use peers. He'll use co-workers. He'll use teachers. He'll use your spouse. He'll use your children. But God will bring people into your life to spur you unto holiness. But God will also use circumstances. Circumstances. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
We know that all things work together for good. God will use circumstances in your life. God can use financial pressure. God can use physical pressure. God can use even the traffic here in Coleman, Alabama to expose some things in your life you need to work on so it will knock off the rough edges. Because y'all know what it's like driving down 31 in the middle of town. Make you want to hurt somebody. But God will use circumstances. Last year, last year, last March, when Tracy got her, her diagnosis with leukemia, man, the hardest season of our life, absolute hardest season of our life. Man, there was moments we didn't know what was going to happen next, moments that was touch and go, moments we weren't sure if she was going to come out of the hospital. There were long nights and countless hours spent hooked up to machines and all this stuff, and it was, it was terrible. But God became so real. Let me tell you, God spoke to us. God became tangible in that hospital room. Like you could reach out and touch him. You would pray and then God would respond and answer that prayer. And you're, you're just like amazed by the goodness of God. He deepened our faith during that time. He strengthened our resilience during that time. God spoke to us and, and did amazing things through other people. But especially during that circumstance to, to further us and provoke us unto holiness. Because walking away from that situation, you can't help but praise him and say, God, you are good. I don't, I don't understand at all why we went through this, but I know what you showed me. And God, you are so good. God will use, use circumstances. I was, for some reason, I, God put on my heart to read the book of Job. I've read it before, but there's 40 chapters of the book of Job, so I started reading it again. And in Job chapter 1, you see Job loses everything. Everything. His family, his finances, his health, everything. There's a time where his family, and guys, I don't know if I gave you this, but can you pull up Job chapter 38, verse 1? Just have it ready in the hopper. Job 38, chapter, uh, chapter 38, verse 1. But in Job chapter 1, there's a moment where his his children are gathered together in worship. And it says a whirlwind came and it blew down the building and basically crushed his family. And all he's left with is is a nagging wife and some mean friends. That's all he's got. And from chapter 1 to chapter 37 of the book of Job, God is completely silent. He ain't saying a word. Job is calling out to God. His friends are questioning God, uh, uh, Job's uh, integrity, saying it's your fault. You're a sinner. This is why this happened. And from Job chapter 1 to Job chapter 37, God is not saying a word. I don't know how much time has passed, but it's a long time. Especially to go through all that he went through and to not even hear the voice of God speak. Can you imagine? But then in Job chapter 38, verse 1. God speaks for the very first time. Y'all, y'all put it up here. I want y'all to see this. And the Lord answered Job out of the what? In Job chapter 1, it was the whirlwind that took out his family. In Job chapter 38, it was the whirlwind in which God spoke. And in that moment, I believe what God showed me is that it's going to be in your greatest place of pain sometimes where God will show up. It's sometimes in your greatest place of pain where God will speak the loudest. God will use circumstances in your life to spur you unto holiness, to reveal himself to you, to, to knock off the rough edges. And then thirdly, thirdly, it's the spiritual disciplines, which we're going to be talking about for these next few weeks, the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. See, this catalyst is different than the other two. Because when God uses people and God uses circumstances, that's a work that happens from the outside in. 
Spiritual disciplines is a work that changes us from the inside out. And it's also different because you, you have little control over the people God brings into your life. And you have little control of the circumstances that God brings into your life, right? Would you agree? But you can make the decision today if you're going to read your Bible. You can make the decision if you're going to pray tonight. You can make the decision if you're going to share your faith with somebody. You can make the decision if you're going to give God what is rightfully his through a tithe. So this is where this becomes different. It's because this becomes voluntary. This is where you have to take initiative for your own spiritual growth. Because out of the all three that I just mentioned, this is the only one you have control over. And here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. If we're not voluntarily doing what God has called us to do over here, then he's going to turn up the heat over here with the people and the circumstances that he brings into our life. Because why? Because he has a perfect plan. What is his plan? To bring you into the image of his son. And so he's going to do whatever it takes to conform you into that image. And so if you're not doing what you need to do over here, watch out. Because he's going to start turning the heat up over here. Because one way or another, his plan is going to come to fruition. And so you can do it by choice or you can do it by force. In the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the New Testament was written in Greek and that word exercise. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. He says, And exercise, exercise thyself rather unto godliness, for bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things. That word exercise is the word gymnasia. Sounds like the word gymnasia, doesn't it? It's where we get our word gymnastics. Gymnasium. Gymnasia is the idea. That I want you to picture this. When you go to the gym, you're going there to exercise, right? You're going to pick up weights. You pick up heavy things, put them down, right? That's the purpose of the gym. You're increasing your stamina, increasing your endurance. You go to the gymnasium to increase uh, the strength of your body. Now, Paul says this. He says that you need to exercise yourself unto godliness. So when you go to your favorite chair in your house and you sit down to read God's word, I want you to pretend in your mind you're going to the gym. That you're about to exercise some spiritual strength right then and there. That God is going to increase your stamina and, and resilience and patience and mercy and grace. That you're going to the gym every time you get on your knees and begin to pray to God. That is exercising unto godliness. Tom Landry, I put this quote in your handout. Tom Landry, he was the football coach for the Dallas Cowboys for about 30 years. And he said this, he says, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. The spiritual disciplines are not going to come naturally. There's going to be days you don't want to do it. You're not going to want to read your Bible every day. You're not going to want to fast. You're not going to want to share your faith. You're not going to want to pray. You're not going to want to worship. You're not going to want to do those certain things every single day. It takes discipline. But we understand that with discipline, we have a direction of who we're trying to become. We're trying to be like Christ. So every day when I pick up my Bible, I understand I'm taking one more step to becoming like Jesus. Because discipline without direction is drudgery. And so we know who we're trying to become. So why... Why the spiritual disciplines? Number one, it is expected. It is expected of us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. This is what it says. It says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. 
But as he is which called you to be holy, uh, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means your lifestyle, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So holiness, listen to me, holiness is not an option for the children of God. That is what God has called you to be, is to be holy. He says, be holy for I'm holy. If you're my child, be holy. And one of the things that we, we, see, God has a way of taking away our excuses. He has a way of taking our excuses away. And one of the things I look at in scripture is that Jesus modeled the spiritual disciplines for us. And if we're supposed to be conformed to the image of who? Jesus, then we must do what he did. And so we look at the scriptures, we find out in Luke chapter 5, he spent time praying. Hey, in Luke chapter 4, he spent time reading the scriptures. In, in Matthew chapter 4, he was fasting. In, 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 in Matthew chapter 26, he was submitting. In Matthew 26 also, he was worshiping. He was practicing community in Luke chapter 22. What is this telling us? If the most perfect man who's ever walked this earth practiced the spiritual disciplines, how much more do you need to? And if you're trying to be conformed to the image of the son, Jesus Christ, and you have to do what he did. And so he modeled it for us. And he showed us that prayer is important. Reading the scriptures is important. Being in community is important. That fasting is important. That being surrendered is important. If Jesus thought the the disciplines were critical for himself, then how much important are they for us? And each single discipline is important. I believe it's equally important. I don't think one is more important than the other. I, I, I think if you're neglecting fasting, then you're missing out on something. I believe an unpracticed discipline is an unclaimed blessing. An unpracticed discipline is an unclaimed blessing. And if prayer is just as good as fasting, then why did Jesus command us to do both? Because they're equally important. Because they each have a purpose. They each have their own benefit. Jesus spoke and he told the disciples and those around him in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and what? Follow me. You know, you can't, you can't learn and follow on accident. You can't learn and follow. And it takes effort to learn and to follow. It takes initiative. You have to put energy and learning and following. No one learns and follows on accident. And Jesus not only expects these disciplines in us, but he modeled them for us. And if we're going to be Christ-like, then we have to do as Christ did. Now, now, now here is the problem. I've seen people. You've seen it too. I've seen people spend years learning how to play an instrument. I've seen people spend years trying to lower their golf score. I've seen people who will discipline themselves their entire career and sacrifice because they know that's what it takes to be successful. But you tell them to do a Bible yearly plan and they get to about Exodus and they fall off. Why? Because it takes discipline. You're telling me it takes effort to be like Jesus? Yeah, every single day, every single day. But people will, listen, what you find important, you'll find time for. What you find important, you'll find time for. Well, I get so, just so shy trying to share my faith. You talk about what you love. 
It takes discipline. It takes discipline. Think about your favorite guitar player. Favorite guitar player of all time. Chet Atkins, B.B. King, John Mayer, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Who, who y'all got? Who's your favorite guitar player? Did I name them all? That's it? All right, no more, huh? So think about watching them play. Ever, ever watch them do, do solos? And man, they get, man, Stevie Ray Vaughan gets on that guitar and he starts, man, pulling at them strings, playing the bug tussle blues. Boy, he just gets after it. Playing and, and it's freely going up and down that fret and, and playing, I mean, amazing scales and blue scales and pentatonics and all kind of stuff. And you're like blown away because it looks like effortless, right? It looks effortless when they play. Have you ever picked up a guitar? It ain't effortless. How do they become that way? Practice. See, here's the problem. Many people think that discipline is hard and discipline is binding. It's restrictive. To be disciplined is restrictive. No. To have discipline is freedom. Because those 10, 20 years they spent practicing and disciplining themselves to play the guitar, now when they play, it looks like freedom. There's no effort. They can just play as freely as they want, and you just sit there amazed and impressed. Discipline is the price for freedom. Discipline is not binding. What would it be like to have an effortless prayer life? Where every time you start praying to God, it's like he fills the room. What would it be like for you to be able to recall to memory all these verses you have memorized through the years at any time you want them? Have the freedom to recall those verses time after time. You know what that is? It's called discipline. What would it be like to share your faith without fear because you've done it time and time and time again and make it look so casual, so effortless? I've been around people that just start the gospel conversation and you're like, man, how did you do that? It looks so effortless. Why is it so effortless? Because they've been practicing it, because they've been disciplined. If you want to be somebody that God can call upon at any single moment to do whatever he wants you to do and have the freedom to be available to God at a drop of a hat, it takes discipline. That skilled guitar player, he has that freedom to play those complicated guitar solos because he has discipline. Those who are free to quote those scriptures, they have disciplined themselves to memorize those scriptures. But this isn't going to happen overnight. Now, I don't, I don't want to sell you, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not selling snake oil up here. All right, I, we're doing this series for the next six weeks. We're going to talk about each, each discipline as we go. Now, you might be thinking, well, in the six weeks, boy, I'm going to be good. No, sir. In the six weeks, you're getting started. All right, this is not going to be an overnight success, okay? This is not going to be one of those things, hey, I prayed one time, I'm good. No. No, this is from here until Jesus comes. This is, you have to discipline every day. So it is something you have to be very consistent with. Now, number two, number two, we see that it is eternal. It is eternal. Paul tells Timothy that as an athlete trains his body, so the Christian must train his soul. Now, now he's not saying that physical exercise is bad, I wish he would, but he's not saying that. But what he's saying, he says it's temporary. Y'all remember what it's like to be young? You could go outside, drink out of a water hose, climb a tree 30 feet tall, fall out of it, hit the ground, get up and take off running and be good. I went to the chiropractor because I sneezed too hard. (laughs) Getting old, your body starts hurting. 
And your body starts coming, it starts going against you. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, listen, you spend all this time exercising the body. It's just going to leave you one day. It's temporary. He says, but, but, but this exercising godliness, godliness is profitable to all things and has the promise of the life that is now. Look at verse 8. The promise that is of now and that which is to come. That which is, it, which is to come. In other words... If you spend your life pursuing the presence of God every day and you surrender your life every day to Jesus and you wake up and you die to yourself, Romans says you must be a living sacrifice so every day you put yourself on that altar and say, God, I'm yours, use me how you want to and every single day God uses you. That's an amazing life to live but then there's going to be a day you take your last breath here and you'll be standing in the very presence of God and how rewarding would it be for him to look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Listen, to, listen the reward makes the work worth it. The reward, the reward makes the work worth it. You, you want to know what you're doing? Well, one day, hopefully, God will look at you and say, well done. Because it, only, it doesn't have just a benefit here on this earth right now, but it has a benefit in the life to come, is what Paul says. It's eternal. Self-discipline has a purpose for now and later. Thirdly, it is engaging. What do I mean by this? Look at, look at verse 8 again. It says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. It involves every aspect of the human being. Physical, spiritual, your soul, everything, because I believe all those things are dynamically connected. Your, your, your heart, soul, mind, spirit, everything. And there's physical things that you're going to do that's going to benefit you spiritually. For instance, for instance, for instance, when you fast, when you fast, you are denying yourself a, 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 a physical appetite. You have a hunger, you have you're an appetite, and you're denying yourself that through fasting. What's the point of that? So that you can increase your spiritual clarity. So you can spend time in the presence of God. That you can get on your knees before Him during those times where you'd be eating a meal. And you say, God, I'm yours. I'm sacrificing. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing hunger so that I can be satisfied spiritually. And so there is a physical element that benefits the spiritual element. Y'all see what I'm saying? It engages all aspects of the human body. When you sit still, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Listen, we live in a noisy, busy world. And when you take time to sit down and get alone, and you have to fight the distractions, you have to fight the chaos, and you have to center your mind, and you sit there long enough and meditate long enough so that God can then speak to you in the middle of the quietness, the physical is benefiting the spiritual. So Paul is saying, listen, practicing exercise towards godliness it benefits your whole body it involves partnering with god it involves partnering with god see see here's the thing just because you read your bible and you pray doesn't mean you're godly it is the means in which god makes you godly but it is not what makes you godly altogether in other words in other words it is what takes you to the presence of God. When you read your Bible, when you pray, when you do those things that, 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 that glorify God, it basically is what comes and, and, and equips you to be in the presence of God, and God does the changing. God is the, is the one who does the changing towards godliness, to holiness, to, to righteousness. Now, just because you read your Bible and you pray, that doesn't make you godly. It is the vehicle in which God uses to transform you into godliness. 
He does the changing. Listen, only God can make a sinful person like Christ. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it. Only God can do that. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean we don't have anything to do. We have to be active. We have to do things. We are partnering with God. I I like what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says this. He says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. In other words, he's saying, I work hard, but I depend on Christ. Now, what is he saying here? At nighttime, when he laid his head on the pillow, he was tired. He put in work. He said, I work. I, I, I labor. Paul says, I'm, I'm doing the work. There's going to be times in your life where it feels like you're doing all the work. But there's times when Paul went to bed at night and he says, boy, those rocks, they sure, they, they hurt today. And that jail cell, boy, it's so cold. And in those people's words, man, they're harmful. They hurt me. Am I really going to get up and do this again tomorrow? You know what he would say? You bet I am. Now that is where we partner with God. We do the work, but what caused Paul to get up day after day, even though he was laboring and striving, what caused him to have the the, the drive to do the hard things? It was God in him and through him. Let me give you a perfect example. You're here tonight. And I'm sure there were some things inside of you saying, just stay home. It's, It's nasty outside. The kids had virtual day. They're all ramped up and crazy. Tomorrow they cancel school. I got stuff I got to do. There's a, there's a sink full of dishes. There is a laundry basket full of clothes. I got so much stuff to do. And everything inside of you was telling you stay home, but you showed up. Why did you show up? God compelled you, drove you, yes. kind of drew you to come. It feels like you're doing all the work, but there's something inside of you that's causing you to desire this. Even in the times where it's not convenient, there's something inside of you that's giving you a hunger for this. Where is that coming from? Is God in you? Paul says, I'm on labor, but, but it's his work that's working in me. That's giving me the desire to keep going and getting up in the morning when I don't want to get up and go. It, it, it's him that's inside of me that's giving me the desire to read the word, even though I am so tired and I'm running a little late and behind. It, it's, it's him inside of me that's, 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 that's compelling me to get on my knees and pray. It's him inside of me that's, that's compelling me to go talk to that person, even though they have tattoos and look weird. I need to go talk to that person. I don't want to, but there's something inside of me that's telling me to go do it. We labor, but he works through us. And so there's going to be times it feels like you're doing all the work, but God's working in you. He's partnering with you. Why do you keep going? Why do you keep getting up? It's the glory of God in you. Where does this power come from? The Holy Spirit in you. Pastor Malcolm talked about this past Sunday. He says, you know, it's important to put the Holy Scriptures in us because it gives something the Holy Spirit to use. You want to be mightily used. You want to have that freedom that I talked about where you you can just have that effortless prayer life and you can recall scripture and you can just be close with God and it just feels tangible. and, And you're the person that people call when they say, hey, can you pray for me? Because for some reason you've got a direct connect to the Lord's throne. And so can you please pray for me? You know how that comes? It comes through discipline. You want to be that person? It's going to take work. 
And it's not always going to be convenient. It ain't always going to be easy. But it's so worth it. The reward makes the work worth it. And so this series is going to challenge you to do the things that are inconvenient. It's going to challenge you to be uh, taking some time to do some things you don't really want to do. But if you stick with it, you'll find that you have an intimacy with the Lord like never before. On your handout, on your handout, you have some questions. Here's what I want to challenge you to do, church. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Tonight or tomorrow, whenever you get up and you spend a little quiet time with the Lord, I want you to look at those questions. And I want you to answer them one by one. Go ahead and start asking God to reveal those things in your life that's maybe pulling you away from the disciplines. That's maybe being a hindrance to you. And ask God to go ahead and correct that in your life and make it, make it where, where that's no longer an obstacle. Because here's what we're going to challenge you to do. For the next six weeks, we're going to focus in on one discipline a week. Next week, we're going to focus in on Bible intake. Bible intake. So, so meditating on Scripture, memorizing Scripture, hearing Scripture, applying Scripture. Bible intake, one of the disciplines that we need to learn and apply to our life. Would you, would you, have fair of you, here in this room, watching online, would you make the commitment that for the next six weeks, you're going to make a commitment to God that you're going to spend this time intentionally growing in the spiritual disciplines? Would you make that commitment and say, God, whatever it takes, if it's getting up early, if it's staying up a little later, if, it, if it's just using my break time to pull out my Bible, if it's just having accountability in my life that will will call me out on some things and make me do the things I don't really want to do. I want us to make a commitment right now that for the next six weeks, we're going to to take this thing seriously. Would y'all do that? Amen. Amen.